Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 61 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. So we are one episode past our one-year anniversary, which hit last week. I'm still really excited about that. So thank you for those of you that have commented and given me suggestions on some topics. And hopefully I will be able to um, speak to what you're asking about. And we can continue these conversations to get more people into the great outdoors. But today's topic is going to be titled Through Their Eyes. And what that means is when you are teaching somebody a new skill or something about safety or something about a topic that they don't have as much knowledge or experience in as you do, you have to completely teach them through their eyes. So what does that mean? So obviously you have a skill set, whatever that may be, and somebody has come to you for advice on how to be better at that skill set. So for example, if you can imagine tying your shoe, most of us that wear lace-up shoes, we tie our shoes every day and we don't even think about it. We just do it and we can probably do it with our eyes closed. So next, I want you to envision someone standing beside you that has never tied their shoe before. So there's a couple different exercises I want you to go through in your mind. First, try to explain to somebody without using your hands or without using your shoes and shoelaces, explain to somebody how to tie their shoe. All talk and no action. So just go through the motions and explain step by step how to tie your shoe. 
chances are that person is going to be very confused because if they've never done it before, they don't have that relatable experience in their past to know what you're talking about, to know how to do it. So next, I want you to envision the second part of this and don't use your words, only use the demonstration. So only tie your shoe without explaining what you're doing. Maybe that's a little bit more effective because they're actually watching you do it, but they're not hearing you explain how to do it while they watch. So the third way I want you to envision this is to pretend like you are explaining and demonstrating at the same time how to tie your shoe. So this exercise, you're actually showing somebody and talking them through it step-by-step how to successfully tie their shoe. So chances are they're going to learn it a heck of a lot better that way because now you've added the visual, the audible, and you're showing them in doing. But let's take this one step further. Not only are you showing them what to do while you're telling them what to do, now you're going to have them demonstrate it back to you. Have them actually tie their shoe because what this has done is they've watched you, they've heard you, now you've empowered them to do it themselves. So obviously I use something as simple as tying a shoe, but really we can relate this, this method to any skill set that we're trying to teach someone or any, um, anything we're trying to teach. This is a really common way that, um, Boy Scouts actually, um, train one another. It's Boy Scouts is all boy led, um, where the boys, you know, do the activity and they lead their fellow scouters. Well, there's a method called the EDGE method, and it's an acronym, and EDGE stands for Explain, Demonstrate, Guide, Enable. So you're going to explain to somebody how it's done, then you're going to demonstrate the steps that you just explained. Next, you're going to guide them through the process as they practice. And finally, you enable them to actually do that task or that skill that you're trying to teach them. So why is that important? So it's important because anytime that you're learning a new skill or learning a new um, hobby or new activity, then you don't have the background knowledge to be successful right out of the chute. So you look up to somebody who has that training or that experience to help walk you through that. But it's really important um, as a leader or as somebody who's teaching somebody a skill to understand the importance of seeing that new skill through the learner's eyes. I see so many times when somebody is trying to tell somebody directions or instructions or teach somebody an activity and they're talking so high over their the student's head that they've lost them. It, it gets frustrating when you don't understand the, the steps, you don't understand the instructions, you may not understand the terminology because a lot of different skills have their own you know words that really aren't like any other. Um, for example, in the shooting sports, there are words that are specific to firearms and ammunition 
that aren't specific or translatable in any other any other way or form unless you're referring to a firearm. So having that information and understanding, knowing that your student or the person that you're trying to teach, they don't have that vocabulary base. They don't have that knowledge. So as the teacher, as the instructor, as the mentor, it's really important to slow it down and break down that skill one nugget, one step at a time to make sure that your student understands. Now, flip the tide as a student, if you're trying to learn a new skill or learn a new activity, isn't it much easier if the person you're learning it from slows it way down and breaks it down so you grasp it one step at a time? And isn't it even better, especially if you're learning in person and not on this whole virtual virtual world that we've been living these last you know year and several months? Um, it's much better to do that in person learning because you can see it, touch it, feel it, smell it. You know, you're right there learning in person, hands on. Hands on is the best way to learn any new skill or new activity. So, as a student, think back of a skill or um, a technique that you learned in a hobby or in a sport. Wasn't it better that your instructor, or think of a great instructor that you had, what made them so great? It was probably the reason that they broke down those skills and they taught you the rules, the instructions, you know, one step at a time at a learner's pace. So what makes you a great instructor is is being able to do that and being able to recognize if you're trying to teach somebody something that you do slow it down and you do help them understand. And of course, I've got a couple of examples that really, you know, bring this bring this to the surface. Um, one of my friends was recently um, traveling and he was in his parents' house and found a couple of very old firearms up in the attic. Um, they probably belonged to his grandfather, you know, in many generations beyond. Um, they were very old guns. And my friend um, is not um, familiar with firearms and didn't know, you know, really thing one about him. But fortunately, you know, he knew he could call on a friend um, to help walk him through, you know, some safety tips about what to do, how to handle, how to be safe, and how to bring those firearms back home so we can teach him more about the guns that he's just now inherited. So talking through someone who never has handled a firearm before, uh, obviously the actions of the firearms were closed, which means you couldn't tell just by looking at the gun if it was loaded or unloaded, if there was ammunition in or not of the of the action. So I had to um, get on the phone with this person because he was in another state at the time. And basically, he sent me some pictures so I knew what I was working with, the different types of firearms, the different types of actions. Um, and he did not have that vocabulary. He did not know, you know, what the parts were called, what the pieces were called. And it took me, you know, extra time just to slow it down and explain the terms and explain the steps in a way that he could understand. And so that was really a great example of the importance of being able to see 
things through a student's eyes because he had no idea which end was up. So, you know, by explaining, you know, talking about the part of the firearm, the end of the barrel, the muzzle, you know, always keep that pointed in a safe direction, keep your finger off the trigger. And I had to, I had to actually explain, you know, what a trigger was because he really wasn't familiar with that terminology in relation to a firearm. So long story short, you know, stepping him through how to open up the action and verify the firearms were indeed unloaded, um, checking, you know, double checking, triple checking, making sure no ammunition was present. Um, it was very, it was very rewarding for me to teach somebody how to safely check a firearm and make it safe. But even more so, it was very empowering to my friend who had never done anything like that. And just to be stepped through that one step at a time, because a lot of people that are very comfortable with firearms, sometimes you forget and you just lose sight of things that you know a beginner or a new uh, a new person into the firearm world, they have no idea what you're talking about. I literally had to go, you know, he had, for example, he had a, a semi-automatic um, pistol. And in order to check to make sure the action is clear and the firearm is unloaded, you have to take the firearm in one hand, hold it on the grip, and take your other hand and pull the slide back, which is, sits on top of the the pistol. So those of us that know firearms, all I'd have to say is open the action and keep it locked back. And most people would understand what that means. But somebody that has no idea what those words are or how to do that or where the buttons are on the firearm to keep it locked open or what is a slide? What does locked open mean? So I literally had to tell him to, you know, in your right hand, Hold the grip of the firearm. He understood what that was. Keep your finger out of the trigger. Keep it indexed. Keep it pointed straight away from the trigger. Next, take your left hand, palm down, place it on top of the top part of the firearm. And with all your might, pull your left hand towards you while you're pushing your right hand away from you. So I had to step it down that detailed so he understood what I was trying to explain to him how to make that firearm safe. So good news all around is he he was successful. He checked all the firearms he had. They were indeed unloaded and he is now able to open actions and lock slides back, open bolts and lock them back open. He understands what all that means now. So, you know, check you know, check to that. And he is now going to come into a future basic firearm class and training so he can learn even more about those firearms that he just now inherited from his father and grandfather. Um, And better yet, he's going to learn how to clean them. We're going to teach him how to clean those guns. And they are going to be a treasure that will last his lifetime and generations beyond. So that was a really cool example um, recently of the importance of seeing things through their eyes. Another example that happened just the other night, um, my younger two boys play baseball. John John and Luke are all into baseball and John John is a pitcher and he's really getting stronger, faster. Um, God, he kid's got a wicked curveball. And just a side story, um, I was playing catch with him the other night until his younger brother, Luke, finished baseball practice and was able to get 
his catcher gear on so Luke could actually catch while John John was pitching because Luke's a catcher, John John's a pitcher, and they switch. So I had some time before that happened, and I pulled out my old glove that I grew up with my um, all my years playing baseball when I was in elementary school. Um, it that glove traveled with me. You know, I you know played for fun in high school. I took it to college with me. I played catch and just you know we just played for fun um, on teams in college. It came with me to Texas, and I raised my boys playing catch with that glove. It's so dear to me. Um, those of y'all out there that are from um, the Midwest and are Cubs fans, if you go way back in your memory bank and remember that old third baseman named Ron Say, he was a famous player back in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, my baseball glove was a Ron Say baseball glove. So I've had that glove, you know, forever, forever. So I took that glove, which is it's my baseball glove. It fits me still, and I'm real comfortable with it. It's definitely broken in. And I was playing catch with John John, and my Gosh, that kid can throw. I, I, I'd love to put a clock on how fast those balls are coming now with his arm. Um, anyway, he threw that ball so hard and I caught it, but the ball bust through the webbing of my glove. It completely blew out my glove. And I actually took a picture of it and, and posted it on social media because it was it was pretty wicked what he did. Um, so, yeah, he's a pretty, pretty cool uh, pitcher right now. But anyway, I told you all that to tell you that when Luke finished his practice and then Luke suited up in his catcher's gear, um, John John was pitching to Luke and then they switched because Luke wants to get better at throwing. Um, he's, he's a great catcher. He's got a great arm and he wanted to try his skill at pitching. So watching John John teach Luke how to pitch it was really cool. And it was just the whole thing. I don't know if, um, you know, he's a great, teacher and a great leader and he's been brought up through scouting so John John has learned how to use the edge method so it's kind of second nature where he explains it he demonstrates it he guides Luke through doing it and then he asks Luke to show him what he just learned so he went through that whole process without even realizing he was going through that whole process and I just sat back and, and watched it all happen and it was so cool to watch you know somebody teach somebody else a skill and John John was doing it. I mean, he was breaking down one nugget at a time, you know, from the, the point of his toe to the lift of his leg to the power of his throw. And I mean, he was going step by step by step. And he was having Luke demonstrate and show him what he just learned. So it's so important. And, and even more so, and this is how I like to train, no matter what skill it is, especially firearms, because obviously that's my passion and you hear a lot about firearm talk in this podcast, but um, you always want to show somebody the correct way to do something. Why? Because if you show somebody the incorrect way, if you're trying to make a point saying, this is what you did and you show them the incorrect way, then they've just watched you do something incorrectly. And that's burned in their mind. And I do not want to burn an incorrect behavior in somebody's mind when I'm trying to teach them a new skill, especially if it comes to something dealing with safety. You 
always, always, always want to teach to the positive, show the positive. Don't show the negative. Um, I always try to avoid the words like don't and never, unless again, it's safety, but you always want to focus on the positive because that's what I want in their heads. Whatever I'm teaching, whomever I'm teaching, I want to push that positive and push the push the focus on the right way to do, the right way to think, the right way to handle, the right way to demonstrate versus the positive. Because if I tell you right now, whatever you do, do not, do not, don't ever think about a purple pickle, what just popped into your mind? You are trying to figure out what a purple pickle looks like. So by telling somebody to not do something, they're going to want to do it. Whoever has kids out there, whoever's listening that's got young kids or even teenage kids, because sometimes they're the worse than the young ones. But if I tell them, whatever you do, do not eat from that candy bowl. Those are my favorite Reese's peanut butter cups. And I swear, I know how many are in there and I counted them. When I come home today, there better be that many peanut butter cups in my candy bowl. Don't eat my peanut butter cups. Every single time, guess what? I don't have the same number of peanut butter cups I had when I left that morning. So by telling somebody to not do something, they're going to want to do it even more. You know, don't touch that red button. Do not push the button. What do people want to do? They want to push that button. So stay away from the negative um, teaching and you may not even realize you do it, but just be more mindful if somebody is, is seeking your advice or your guidance on learning something new. Again, just always, always, always keep to the positive, keep teaching them the positive way to do things because it's going to go a lot further when they're remembering watching you demonstrate whatever it is that behavior you're showing them. They're going to remember whatever you show them how to do. So make sure it's always a positive behavior, action, skill that you're showing them. Another great technique to use to do things and see things through their eyes is to ask the same question about 47 different ways because everybody learns differently. Some people can pick up an idea or a a skill really, really fast. Um, Some people are just slow learners. Some people have um, different obstacles, whether it's a learning disability or a language barrier, Um, whatever it is, everybody learns differently. So by asking somebody the same question different ways, sooner or later, something's going to click with the people you're trying to teach. Sooner or later, that light bulb is going to go off and they're going to go, ah, Now I get it. Now I understand what you're trying to show me, tell me, teach me, because you've explained it that many different ways. So think back of a time that you went to a class, whatever that class may be, whether it was in school or whether you took a training for work or whether you, you know, are into a hobby and you went to a a further educational training session to learn a higher level of skill for that hobby. Think about one of the best instructors that you've had. How did they engage? What did they do that made them such an awesome instructor or trainer? Did they just stand there behind the lectern and lecture you the whole time? 
Or were they engaging? You know, did they draw the students in and interact with them and get everybody involved and and walk around the room and, you know, go table to table and make sure that everybody understands and, you know, nobody has questions? You know, how did they interact to make them such a great teacher? Because I've sat in on a, a wide variety, a huge bell curve of different teaching styles of classes and trainings over the years. And some of the worst, most painful lessons that I've ever been through are the lecture, where people just stand up at the podium, stand up on the lectern and and read. It's dry. They're they're not excited. You know, they're just going through the motions to get through the day. Um, that's very hard. That makes learning very difficult. It makes retaining what you've been taught even more difficult. Um, those of us that, you know, do a lot of meetings and such. And like I said, lately, it's been, you know, death by Zoom, death by PowerPoint lately. But those are difficult as well, because you can only stare at a screen for so long. And we're so, you know, we're so wrapped up in our screens anyway, even before 2020 went sideways. You know, everybody's on their cell phones, everybody's on their iPads, you know, everybody's on screen time. And now, you know, with all this virtual stuff, you know, we had to endure it even longer, many more hours throughout the day. So it's really hard um, for most people to learn in that environment. Not saying that's not for everybody, because there's some people that do even better virtually. Um, There's some students that get a lot more and they do a great job being self-paced and they can pick up on it. Awesome. But that's just remember that that's not for everybody. So if you're if you're a teacher, if you're trying to engage your students or engage the public, or whatever it is you're doing, teaching that new skill or that new um, hobby, make sure that you um, shake it up a little bit and you teach a variety of ways just to capture the way that every one of your students learns. Some people learn great visually. Some people learn great just by listening. But more people are going to learn and retain what you're teaching them if you incorporate that hands-on activity. Have them show you what you just explained. Put them in that situation, you know, put that sewing machine in their hand if you're trying to teach a quilting class, you know, instead of just standing there telling somebody how to use a sewing machine. That's funny that I just pulled that example out of my mind because I'm the last person on earth that... um can sew. Um, so I don't know where that came from. It's kind of funny that I said that because I don't sew. And my husband, um, several years ago, he bought me a sewing machine. I was like, really? A sewing machine? Yeah, happy birthday to me. Really? Um, because we had, of course, all the boys and Boy Scouts and Scouts collect a lot of patches and they earn a lot of merit badge patches that go on their sash. And the lady at the time that I was taking them to charged three bucks a patch. And when I've got, you know, 25 patches and three sashes every couple months, um, it adds up. And so, yeah, John went and bought me a sewing machine. I was like, are you kidding me? So yeah, I, I have some work to do on that. But anyway, that, that aside, um, putting that tool in that person's hand, whatever that tool is, and have them show you what you just taught them is going to go a long way in their retention of that skill that you're trying to teach them. So the other thing is um, being an effective communicator. 
the number one fear in America, number one hands down fear in America, can you guess what it is? It's public speaking. So that is a learned behavior. Um, people have, there's classes, there's Toastmasters, there's professional um, groups that you can join that help you become a better public speaker and a better communicator because they know that public speaking is that number one fear. And so they're trying to get people to overcome that obstacle, whether it's a perceived or real obstacle, public speaking can be intimidating to a lot of people. So it's one thing to get up in front of a group and try to teach a skill or teach a lesson. It's another thing altogether when you're up in front of that same group, having an item in your hand or a training aid, and now you're trying to teach and demonstrate in front of a group. So this takes a lot of practice, practice to be a good communicator, practice to be a good trainer, practice with items in hand that you can show your students to help them be a better student and get stronger with whatever skill set you're trying to teach. So the really cool part about all this is you have to get on their level. You have to get down, even if you get down eye level with that student, you know, we, we've taught for years, um, when it's getting close to hunting season, we always would bring out an unloaded, um, 243 deer rifle that had a scope on it. So the way that we practiced, um, teaching firearm safety and teaching the boys how to shoot and how to be a very good shooter is again, before deer season, we would set up a tripod and we would mount that 243 rifle with a scope out the back window. Um, of course, it's unloaded and, you know, all that good stuff. But so we would have that gun in the living room and it was just kind of pointed outside. And so we would have the boys sit on a stool and they would practice looking through the scope and acquiring that sight picture, you know, picking a target, picking a leaf picking a blueberry on the tree out back, you know, picking some object that's really small that they can put those crosshairs on and focus on that particular object. Once they had that in their scope, the next thing we were teaching them is how to do their breathing, you know, how to minimize their body movement as they took a deep breath, slowly exhaled. And as they were exhaling, they pause. And during that pause, they're working on their trigger squeeze. They're slowly squeezing that trigger. They're slowly pressing that trigger until the gun clicks. And then they continue with their breath and they continue with their follow through, which means you hold your position until the shot is fired. So the boys would practice that every day after school. They'd come home, they'd get on that deer rifle and they'd look out the window and they'd be practicing. We'd hear click, click click. You know, they were learning how to um, work the bolt of the bolt action rifle. They were working on their breathing, minimizing their body movement. So in order for us to do that, we literally, when we were teaching them, we had to pull up a chair right next to them and be level with what they were seeing. Because if you're standing over somebody smaller than you and you're looking from above, it's a whole different perspective of what I'm seeing versus what they're seeing. So by pulling up a stool right behind one of my kiddos and sitting at their eye level, 
I say, you know, show me what you see. Show me what you're talking about. Show me what, you know, show me what you're trying to explain. And so that made a whole world of difference in in the way that I teach is seeing it the way they're seeing it. You know, do the best you can to understand what they're seeing and, you know, how they're interpreting what you're trying to teach them. So by doing that, it's it's made them a better marksman. Because ultimately, once they got really good at minimizing their body movement, you know, minimizing their breathing, their trigger squeeze, all that good stuff, we would start putting quarters on the end of the barrel. And the whole point was who could slowly squeeze the trigger until the gun clicked or, you know, would be going off if it had a live round in it when you're outdoors hunting, um, who could actually make that gun click and not have the quarter drop off the barrel. So of course, then it got into a competition. But the point is, um, getting on their level makes a world difference in the way that you can better explain a particular skill, and they can understand and be more proficient and um, gain more knowledge with what you're trying to teach them. So sum it all up, you know, through their eyes, you know, understand whatever it is you're doing, any sport, any activity, Learn from the person that you're trying to teach. Ask them questions. You know, what do you see? You know, am I, is this making sense? You know, ask me a question. Do you know what all these words mean? Because they're specific only to, you know, baseball, football, hockey, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to teach. A lot of times that terminology only applies to that skill that we're talking about. So do your best. Um, Keep on training, you know, keep on getting more and more people outdoors because as you know, there is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters, creating memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo and you've heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day.